Amen. While you're still standing, if you'll turn to Luke chapter 16, starting in verse 14. Luke chapter 16, starting in verse 14. Our preaching text today goes up to verse 17. I am going to read verse 18, uh, as I believe it uh, is sort of an application of what uh, is talked about here in Luke. Uh, But Lord willing, at the beginning of March, we'll actually take up verse 18. You'll see in a moment why, uh, on its own, as I want to spend some good time on verse 18. Uh, But I'll read it together uh, today. So Luke chapter 16, uh, reading then verses 14 through 18. Actually, let let me go back a verse Uh, The last verse from last week, verse 13. Uh, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached, and everyone forces his way into it. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery, and he who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery." This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. You may be seated. God, would you bless and add your understanding to the reading and now preaching of your word. Uh, We long to see Jesus and the good news of the kingdom this morning. Would you do that by your spirit? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm not sure if you're aware of it, but uh, some of the hymn writers in our a hymnal were actually mathematicians. Um, let me give an example. Uh, in the song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, uh, the author Helen Lemel, I believe is how you pronounce her name, she shows herself to be a mathematician because she shows that she understands what inverse proportionality means. Because she says, turn your eyes upon Jesus, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim, right? So the more you look upon Jesus, uh, the, the more dim the things of this earth will be. Uh, that's because uh, inverse proportionality or inverse variation, two variables, as one quantity increases, the other one necessarily decreases. And um, to give another example, uh, when a preacher, you know, the more they try to sound smart and talk about math, uh, the more the mathematicians in the room uh, degrade their view of them. So that's also inversely proportional. But in this case, you know, turn your eyes upon Jesus. The more you look to him, the less these other things are going to shine in your heart. And the opposite is true. We don't sing it, but, you know, turn your eyes upon the things of this world and Christ will grow strangely dim. In our passage this morning, we see a lot about these Pharisees again who love money and love what God hates and they're just missing it. But I hope that we've learned up till now, that when we see the Pharisees, uh, you know, we should draw a little mirror in our Bibles, right? Uh, we, we've learned, we've, we've been with Luke long enough, that when we look at the Pharisees, certainly we're condemning false leaders that would try to lead Israel astray, uh, but we need to have a mirror to our own hearts. 
And so the point of the message this morning is this, you cannot serve God and self. You cannot serve God and self. As we saw last week, you cannot serve God and money, but deeper to the root of that is you can't serve God and self. These are inversely proportional. It doesn't work. The more you serve yourself, the less you serve God and vice versa. The more you look selfishly to your own sinful desires, the less God will be beautiful uh, to you. And right from the beginning, we should say we're not saying that uh, self-care is sinful or uh, viewing ourselves rightly as God does. God loves us. We're not meant to hate ourselves. So that's not what we're talking about, uh, but a sinful inward look as opposed to serving Christ and his kingdom. And so let's look at three points which will bring us through the text as we look at the heart of the Pharisees, but also our own hearts. And so you cannot serve God in self. Why? Because what happens when you do that? Number one, when you do that, you will love Christ less. You will love Christ less. What do we see here? Right? Luke just tips us off. Right? If, if, if you think the Bible doesn't have a sense of humor, uh, Jesus says you cannot serve God in money. And then Luke just tells us the Pharisees, who were lovers of money... <laughs> heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. Remember, in the last passage, Jesus was talking to his disciples, but as is typical, the Pharisees are sort of right on the heels, listening, trying to catch him in his words, whereas the tax collectors and sinners are truly hearing him. They're saying, I need this. Uh, The Pharisees are, in this case, showing their colors. They're ridiculing him, right? Um, They're ridiculing him. What's the heart that leads them to the point that they would hear Jesus' words and would make fun of him, ridicule him, drag his reputation through the mud. What's the heart of the Pharisee that leads to this point? Um, you know, picture in a, in, a, in a movie, maybe with some, a movie where the main character is the narrator, and, uh, you know, you enter a scene, and all of a sudden someone walks into the scene, and, and the narrator turns to the camera and says, ooh, ooh I need to tell you about these guys. <laughs> And then the movie pauses and you go back. Let's do that with the Pharisees. Let me remind you, um, you could just hear this or if if you're quick uh, with your Bibles, that's fine. But uh, back in Luke chapter 7, around verses 29 and 30, uh, Jesus has just been talking about John the Baptist, which he'll do again in just a moment. And it's really interesting. It says the tax collectors, too, uh, when they heard this, they declared God just having been baptized, they're they're giving their approval. God is just, he's righteous, this is amazing. Verse 30, but the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, right? Or in chapter 11, you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. Greed and wickedness, right? Right? Have you ever, you know, you pull a dish out of the dishwasher and it seems good and you set it down and, and you realize it's just encrusted on the inside? That's what he says the Pharisees are like. This is the heart of the Pharisee. Or in, later in chapter 11, starting in verse 42, we have that passage, the woes to the Pharisees. Woe to you Pharisees, you tithe mint and rue, you put in the church offering, maybe more than anyone else does, but you neglect justice and the love of God. Or another, just a few examples from that section. Woe to you Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. You love the praise of men. And then in chapter 12, he turns to his disciples and says, Beware the leaven of the Pharisees, and he names it, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden 
that will not be known. And we see that in our passage here as well. And finally, we've looked ahead at Luke 18, where it says he told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. That's really the heart of the Pharisee, this hypocrisy. Outside looks good, inside is wicked and full of greed. Uh, View of self that is skewed. Uh, So thinking highly of oneself. Remember the Pharisee who prays, uh, and when he prays, he just tells God all the things he does. He gives, he, he fasts. He's not like this tax collector. And we treat others with contempt. That's the heart of the Pharisee. That's the heart that, given time, hardens to the point that can hear Jesus, the Son of God, the author of life, and ridicule him, and ridicule him and miss it. So what's going on here? And we see the Pharisees are giving us this example. It says they're lovers of money. That points to their heart. They hear these things. They ridicule him. And Jesus says, you are those who justify yourselves before men. That's that, that same idea that we saw in the Luke 18 passage. They in one sense, deeply, they know that they're guilty before God, but they're trying to justify themselves before men. But he cuts right to the heart, literally, and says, God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. And so even though they they look good, they are, in one sense, trying to serve God and man. Uh, He says, um, you justify yourselves before men. You, you spend your time thinking, what are people going to think of me? I want the best seats in the marketplace. I, I don't want to be seen with the tax collectors. And in so doing, you are loving the things that God hates and hating the things and people that God loves. You cannot serve God and man. They're inversely proportional. The more you think about what other people think of you and how you will be viewed, the less you think about God and his glory. Similarly, you cannot serve God and sin. The more you love your sin and you harbor your sin and you justify your sin, the more that love of God will grow strangely dim. And so what happens when, not just the Pharisees, but when we have a heart that focuses on love of man, love of sin, ultimately love of self in a sinful way, it means that we will love Christ less. And sadly, it's like the frog, right, that gets boiled in the water uh, slowly. We often don't know what's happening, or we block out that it's happening until we find ourselves uh, in a scary place where our hearts have grown cold to Christ. Now, praise the Lord that the Holy Spirit, if if we're a true believer, he's in us and he reinvigorates us and he calls us back home as we saw in Luke 15. But we need to turn from self, turn toward Christ so that we'll love him as we should. So that's the first thing. You you cannot serve God in self because you're going to love Christ less. Number two, you will lose gospel urgency. You will lose gospel urgency. Now, there's an interesting line in this text Uh, Luke is sort of grouping together the more controversial text uh, in his gospel, and we'll spend some time on it. But let's look at the first part of verse 16 first. It says, The law and the prophets were until John... I'll read the whole thing, actually. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached, and everyone forces his way into it. Now, that's an interesting line. (laughs) Uh, The gospel is preached, and everyone forces his way into it. Uh, again, what did we talk about earlier? Sometimes things in the Bible, the way they're said, surprise us. We say, that's not how I would have written it. 
well, that's good. <laughs> um, but so the Bible's allowed to surprise us. It doesn't mean that we're not meant to mine its depth. So um, to use that mining analogy, some passages, I mean, you, you know, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. I mean, you barely need to tap it for the gospel to just pull, get out of the rock and you see the diamond, right? Some passages require a little bit more uh, pickaxe work and whatever else you do with mining. And, and, and I think this passage needs a little bit of work. But first, let's get the context of it. The law and the prophets. Uh, all of the Old Testament, all of, uh, that's one way of summarizing. Uh, later in Luke, Jesus will say the law, the Psalms, and the prophets. This is a way of summarizing all of the Old Testament. And he's saying the law and the prophets were until John, and since then the good news of the kingdom is preached. Now, this is interesting. And, you know, if, if you had some commentaries, you would see these debates, you know, is it is it, uh, it's almost mathematical again, you know, is it the law and the prophets up until John? And, and so John's part of the Old Testament, and now we're in the New, or is it up to and including John? Uh, I, I think it's a little bit all of the above. He's saying uh, the law and the prophets, all of it, Jesus says at the end of Luke, it's all about me. Remember the road to Emmaus. Uh, he just brings them through Scripture and says, this is all about me. It's all about the gospel of the kingdom. The Son of Man had to come and do these things. He had to die for his people because it was the plan of God before the foundation of the world. All of that's being preached in the Old Testament. We say in seed form, it's blossoming, it's growing. We get to John, and uh, the gospel clarity becomes so clear. John comes as we say Elijah, uh, as uh, the one who proclaims the one who is to come, Elisha, or Jesus. And just as uh, Elijah came and then Elisha comes after him and, and, and is given a double, spirit, double portion of the Spirit, uh, so John comes and then right after Jesus comes, John's whole purpose in one sense is to bridge the Old Testament into the New. So in one sense we say that he was the greatest of the Old Testament prophets. And in another sense, we, in a real way, we say he's sort of the first of this New Testament era. When John shows up, that means the gospel is coming. Christ is about to come, and indeed has come, and, and Jesus emphasizes this. Do you see the urgency of that? You know, the, the gospel of the kingdom is here. It, its greatest preliminary prophet has said, repent and believe, and now Christ himself has come and is preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And this is exactly what the Pharisees have been missing now for 16 chapters, representing years of ministry. They're hearing about this gospel. They know their Bibles probably better than the tax collectors and the sinners, and they're missing it. They're missing that it's here. It's arrived. Right? They're, they're sitting at the tarmac, right, in, in Medford, and, 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 and over and over again, you, you, you hear them saying, you know, last call, last call, you need to get on the plane. And they're just sitting there, missing it. So what's going on here? And I think this interesting verse helps us see the urgency of what's happening. The gospel of the kingdom is preached, and it says, and everyone forces his way into it. Now, that's an interesting image. And again, it's not how we might, if we had a pen and paper, it, it might not be the way that we would write it out. So what's going on here? Let me just give you four options of what's happening here. And as is typical, I'll give you what I think is a a faithful rendering, knowing that there's faithful men and women who might disagree with me. Uh, this isn't a salvation issue in this one verse. Uh, but uh, this four options, this uh, sort of negatively and positively options. Uh, one negative option 
uh, is that uh, it's taken negatively. So uh, everyone forces his way into it, meaning uh, that there's violence uh, being used against it. The gospel is, is coming in, and there are those who are seeking to oppress uh, the gospel of the kingdom. That's one way to interpret this. And by the way, let's, let's get one other text in front of us. The only other time that this strange Greek word is used in the whole New Testament is Matthew 11, uh, verse 12, says this, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence. So there the ESV has kind of taken that first view. Violence is being done against it. And the violent take it by force. <laughs> so if we were preaching through Matthew, it would be an even more challenging verse. Uh, and the violent take it by force. So this could mean violence is being used against it. Number two, uh, this could mean something more positively, like people are trying to enter it by force or people are forcing their way into it. Uh, spoilers, that's where I'm going to land. Number three, it could be negative in the sense that people are being forced into it. Maybe you instinctively are like, that doesn't sound right. Number four, more positively, uh, people are being strongly urged into it. And there they look to the parable of the wedding guests that we saw a few months ago, uh, where people are compelled to come in. And, and they think maybe this is a parallel to that. So I take the view here that, uh, that this is about gospel urgency. This isn't saying that, you know, the, the gospel's here and, and people are literally taking it by force and God's saying, no, I don't want you in here. And they're like, but I'm strong. Of course, we know from Scripture that's not the image, but, but that this requires de- decisive action, unlike the Pharisees who are missing it. Uh, Let me give you just a few verses that lead us up to this point, sort of another flashback, a moment. Uh, Just a few verses, just just hear these uh, quickly, and and you'll recognize them as we go. In Luke 9, he says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom kingdom of God. You know, he says, let the dead bury their own dead. The time is now. Uh, if it is by the finger of God, Luke 11, that the, I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or in Luke eleven twenty three, whoever is not with me is against me. Who does not gather with me scatters. Luke twelve thirty five, stay, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. Or Luke uh, 12, verse 49, I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled. Do you think I have come to bring peace on the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. Luke 12, you hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? Luke 13, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And then Luke 13, 24, I, I, I think this gets at the heart of what he's saying here. Strive to enter through the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able to. And so we have this uh, As R.C. Sproul puts it this way, the kingdom of God has broken through, the gates are open, and people are pressing into it. But the Pharisees, who are supposed to be the leaders of righteousness, stand outside the gates and resist it. The kingdom of God is at hand. It is urgent. As people, you know, during World War II, they would say, don't you know there's a war on? when it came to rationing and, and some of these other things. Don't you know that there's a war on? That Christ came once and for all, that Christ died for his people, and then he commissioned his apostles, uh, who then raised up leaders, and the church has continued ever since to bring the gospel to the nations, and even to your ears this morning. 
Don't you know that there's a war on? When we start to serve ourselves, we lose gospel urgency. That means we might miss it entirely like the Pharisees. And not all of them. Some Pharisees came to know. But as a group, they miss it, missing it entirely. And friend, my prayer for you, if you've been here and, and you've listened through 16 chapters of Luke, and you don't have that urgency to say, this really is Jesus. He really did come. He is still at work. He really died for sins. And he died for my sins then I pray, even this morning, that the Holy Spirit would open your eyes to see this gospel that is broken through, uh, even for you, if you would believe. But even for we who are believers, we might not miss it entirely, but we lose that urgency. You know, what happens after, you know, a society that goes through war, we say there's a war on, but within half a generation, we forget. Uh, And we sort of get complacent, and we forget what it's like But God loves to open our eyes and remind us to turn away from self toward Christ that we would be vigilant and useful in the king's hands. So Christian, you cannot serve God and self because you will lose gospel urgency. And lastly, you, you can't serve God and self because you will leave his word behind. You will leave his word behind. Look at um, verses 17 and 18. And perhaps you'll see why we included verse 18, and we'll spend some good time on it in the future. But he says, it's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. He has just said the law and the prophets, all of it is about Christ. And then he gives verse 18, everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery, and he who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. So he's just said the law and the prophets, all of it is about him. It's being preached up until now. The good news is coming to fruition. And then he reminds them, it, it, this doesn't mean that the Old Testament is passing away. No, it, it, it's being fulfilled in Christ Jesus. And so all of God's word is breathed out and profitable for his people. And so I think Luke includes here, and Jesus includes here, this one example, especially thinking of the Pharisees, of marriage and divorce, uh, which again, we'll talk about in a few weeks. Uh, but the Pharisees, there's an interesting thing. On the one hand, they were extreme legalists, you know, tithing down to the smallest bit. But in another sense, they were actually very liberal in the sense. For instance, they would hold views of divorce um, that really upheld the rights of uh, men in their society, that sort of a man could divorce his wife oh, it's seemingly for any reason, which we would say goes beyond the Old Testament. I think Luke started, Jesus is starting to address that here. Uh, true legalists aren't legalists about every law, just the ones that they can control, right? Uh, but these other ones that are harder to apply, uh, they're, they're very willing to sort of see God's word slide um, and become strangely dim, as it were. And so that brings us back up to the heart of the Pharisee, where they're, they're actually exalting the things that are an abomination to God, and they're, they're not loving the things that he loves. They're not seeing the tax collectors and sinners coming into the kingdom and rejoicing, but they're missing it, and they're seeking to bar them. And as we said, that this, this leads to them ridiculing him. The, the very word that they claim to uphold, uh, they're sort of getting rid of that solid ground and replacing it with sand, shifting sand. And they're the ones who were were to be teaching the people. They were the ones who should have had the clearest sense, Christ is here, the Messiah is here. Everything we've been teaching you in synagogue every week, this is it. (laughs) 
but they're missing it. And in so doing, they're, they're doing away with their love of the law that they claim to uphold. And this should be terrifying to us <coughs> because the Pharisees, lest we view them as sort of mustache-twirling bad guys from a comic book, instead, they're more like us than we like to admit. As I said, we need to put a mirror up every time we see the Pharisees. What leads someone to the point where they could ridicule Jesus' words? Friend, if you've been coming, and as I said, if you haven't made Christ your Savior, and and you say, well, yeah, I wouldn't ridicule Jesus. I'm respectful. Let me let me say, if, if, if you're trying in one sense to serve self and sin and, and, and those natural uh, impulses, and, and, and you're like, no, no, but I am trying to serve God too. He has a place in my life. Let me argue that the Pharisees, that's actually what they were doing. They were trying to serve self and serve God. They might not say it that way. If you asked a Pharisee, never would they, no, they would never say, oh, I'm not trying to serve God. I'm just serving myself. No, they were the leaders, and, and, and I think genuinely, in some sense, they were trying to serve God, but they were trying to serve their self at the same time. And when you do that, uh, that's, a, that's a, uh, a mixture that cannot hold. <laughs> One is going to win out, because they're inversely re- proportional. And so for the Pharisees, we've seen this progression up until verse 14, where they just ridicule Jesus. The Jesus who would say, you cannot serve God and money and try to teach them to wrench their heart away from these things that will destroy them. They, they laugh. The same Jesus who said, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you peace. And they laugh. They ridicule. Who is this? The one who said, I have come to seek and to save that which is lost. Would you rejoice with me? And they just mock him. Friend, that's actually your destiny if you stay on this road of trying to balance the two or find some yin and yang, he wants your heart, all of it. And if you would put your faith in him, he would have your whole heart as he does away with your sin and brings you into life with him. But Christian, we do this too. Our view of the law and of scripture, you know, we, we talk about, uh, you've probably heard of the Jefferson Bible, Thomas Jefferson sort of went through and cross things off, miracles, silly stuff like that, and came up with a pretty short New Testament. And we could laugh at that, but you know what we do is we have you know, big old Bibles that show how smart we are. We keep it all in there, but we don't store it all in our hearts. We sort of just flip over that. <laughs> don't like that. Keep it in there, though, because we don't want people thinking that uh, we have a low view of Scripture, and yet our hearts uh, come to, over time, even uh, draw apart from the things that God would teach us. And so what have we seen? You, you cannot serve God and self. If we turn inward, it means that God will grow strangely dim. Right? You, you've heard the term you know, heliocentric, uh, the view that the sun then is the center of our galaxy, uh, a less well-known term perhaps is meliocentric. That probably works with Latin because me in Latin means me. But what do we tend to do? We tend to have a, 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 an eye-centered view. And again, not all of this is bad. I mean, God has made us creatures where we live life in first person, not third person. So we're made in the image of God. No, that's bad. But like the Pharisees, we can focus on self by 
focusing on what others think of us, man-pleasing, focusing on our sin, focusing on our love of money or comfort, turning inward instead of trusting in him, self-justifying instead of just coming to him in repentance. Like the psalmist who says, my bones wasted away until I just came and told you my sin and found forgiveness. But Christian, he knows your heart. (laughs) He knows those areas where you're turning inward. And he longs by the Spirit to turn you back outward, to turn you toward him, to set your face on Jesus Christ so that these other things would grow strangely dim. And when you do that, if, if, if the inverse proportionality is true here, we can flip all of these. Uh, you cannot serve God in self. If you, if you turn from self to serve the living God, that means that you will love Christ more and more and more as the Spirit works in you and gives you that love. That means you will gain gospel urgency. You will gain a zealous joy for his kingdom coming here on this earth, and you will find your footing again in his word. You will find solid ground if we just turn to him. Let's pray. Lord God, you know our hearts. You know those areas where we are harboring a selfish mentality, a turning inward when we should be turning toward you. Oh God, would you open our eyes? Would you turn us back to you or turn us to you for the first time? Lord, only then will we have a right view of ourselves, made in your image, loved by you, beloved by you. And only then will we be, will we be uh, sharp and ready instruments in our king's hands. Would you uh, shape us in the image of Christ as we look to you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.